Good morning, everybody. Churches are supposed to be empty on 4th of July. You guys must be more interested in the Word of God. Amen. That is good. Thanks for joining us today. It is great to be in the house of the Lord as well as have you with us online. As we continue our Voyager series, we're, we're voyaging out. We're making a decision. We're moving forward. We began this series by pioneering into uncertainty in September, believe it or not, of last year. And then as we walked into the spring this year, we, we started to become like sojourners and we were passing through as we followed the missionary journeys of Paul. And now we're setting a course. Paul is going to Rome. His first stop is in Jerusalem. He's going to deliver the gift, fulfill the vow that he had taken before the Lord. He's going to go to the temple and he's going to finish the call that God has put on his life regardless of the feedback that he receives, regardless of the people who tell him how risky it is, regardless of how much adversity he might come, he is ready. Our anchor verse is fixing our eyes on Jesus. We are ready. He was willing to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. If it meant sacrificing his own comforts, he was willing, and he, well, we're gonna find out if he's able as we walk through this series, but he believes He's able, looking back on his life story, not because of himself, but because of Christ. We've taken the ready, willing, and able um, concept from the rule of three. You know the rule of three from last week. Good, fast, or cheap. You can have good, and you can have fast, but it won't be cheap. You can have fast, and you can have cheap, but it won't be good. There's a rule of three, and ours is you might be ready. You might even be willing, but are you able? Well, you might be able. You might be willing, but are you ready? And we're going to take this concept, and we're going to work it through the whole series, and we're going to evaluate it in the different issues and circumstances of life that Paul has as he's set a course to Jerusalem and Rome. Well, last week we were standing on the side of a cliff deciding, are we going to take a leap of faith? I'm ready, I'm willing, but am I able to actually jump? And we talked about leveraging in our life these times when it seems risky to step out in faith. It, it, there's an element of risk, and, and I want to calculate the risk and make sure it's good risk and it's risk the Lord would want me to take. I had somebody come up to me this past week. He said, Curse, you know, I was listening. I was listening to your message during the week. If a lot of people follow with us, you might be next week listening to this, sitting on a lawnmower or, or at work or whatever, and you're listening to me talk right now. I hear you. Thanks for supporting us and being a part of our ministry. But he said, I was listening to this, and I'm going, It's time. I, I really got to be more like a Voyager and take this step. I'm tired of talking about it. I think it's my moment. I wanna step out in faith. I think it's time that I, God is calling me to say maybe it's time to start this business and get it going. But I feel like, Chris, I feel like when I leap for God, I wanna put both hands out. I want to. But I mean, this guy's got a family. He's got people to take care of. I think we all understand this. And he's like, I wanna leap. But I feel like sometimes I just got one hand back there going, just in case. Just in case what? And we all want to say it in church. But just in case it doesn't work out. I mean, just in case, just in case. I want to trust God, but just in case. And we all feel that. Have you ever had a situation in your life like that? We're like, I want to jump. But I also probably want to have a plan B. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, Prudence would say that, but that's not how a voyager thinks. A voyager goes, I'm ready. I've counted the cost. I don't know if I'm able, but here we go. And you jump based on how much you trust who's going to catch you. I remember, I remember one of our children going back and forth on the counter in the kitchen. And each child was different. One child, come on, jump. They're already there. They could go backwards. Dad's going to get them. The other one's like, come closer, Dad. Come closer. Oh, come on, go for it. And everybody's a little bit different. So we talked about this leap of faith. And last week, it was maybe faith. We, we leveraged the story of Jonathan at Michmash with his, with his armor bearer. There were two mountainsides, remember? And, and Jonathan's hiding in the caves with his dad and goes, you know what? I'm called to do more than this. Dad's hiding. His dad, Saul, is hiding in the caves from the mighty Philistine army when God's called us to be the heroes. God's called us to eliminate the Philistines. And he said, I'm going over to the garrison. And the armor bearer said, well, okay, I'll follow you wherever you go. But, but what do we do? How do we know if God's in this? He said, here's what we'll do. We'll go over the edge of the cliff and, and, and we'll stand there. And if they say, come up, that means God has given it to us. We're going. But if they come down to us, we know God's not in it. We'll retreat. And the armor bearer's like, yeah, let's do this. And Jonathan says that epic line. He goes, let's go to the Pharaoh scenes. God wants us to conquer him. And maybe he'll deliver so he went in maybe faith. The Philistine garrison yells down, oh, look who came out from their hiding. It's the little Hebrews. They come up here. We'll show you a thing or two. He said, come up here. Let's go. And they charge up the hill and God wins the victory. And not only that, Saul and his soldiers came out of their caves and followed Jonathan up and saw a victory. Why? Because somebody had maybe faith. The difference in all your decision-making in life is are you going to listen to the voice of fear in your head or are you going to listen to the voice of faith in your head? Young people, college students, you're going to listen to the voice of fear or faith? Everybody's a tough guy online. Are you going to make a decision based on fear or faith? Everybody's got an opinion with their fingers. But when you're standing in the heat and the boss is standing right there, when you're in the heat and you're surrounded by all your friends who have a certain opinion on what should be done in society, are you going to be able to stand or are you just a keyboard warrior? These are the moments that really test our faith. And I got to tell you, church, we're going to have to get a little more boldness because what is wrong is becoming right, and what is right is becoming wrong quickly in our society. And so, church, you better know what you believe, right? I better know what I believe because you're going to have to actually make decisions that could ostracize you at times. And you might have to move forward in maybe faith. But remember, fear is self-protecting. Faith is self-sacrificing. Fear asks, what am I going to lose? Faith asks, what will I gain? Fear avoids the problem. Just sweep it under the rug. Faith confronts the problem. Fear seeks an exit. I got to get out of this. Faith seeks an entrance. Fear brings hesitation. Faith brings initiation. Oh, I love maybe faith. But I'm excited today because today is a second type of faith all voyagers understand. What's that faith? Well, I told you, we found that story of Jonathan at Michmash, and I called it a delicious little story in the Old Testament. Now, now, young people, I used to hate reading, so there's hope for you too, 
okay? Now I like it. I need to read, okay? I need to be up in front of things. But I used to not like it. Now I just look at these accounts in, uh, in scripture. They're just like delicious. Well, I got a Boston cream donut size story in Daniel. Some of you know this. You don't, if you've been in church at all, just a little bit, you know the story of the fiery furnace, right? I mean, oh man, this is one of the most epic stories. And I'm gonna call this, I'm gonna call this furnace faith, What's furnace faith? Oh, it's found in Daniel 3. And just like we leveraged that little statement from Jonathan who said, maybe that the Lord will deliver and move forward in faith, we're gonna find a different statement made by the guys in scripture that my dad used to say finishing up family devotions, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. <laughs> Abednego, all right? Abednego, all right? Abednego. Now, now we know the story. Nebuchadnezzar heard from prophets and different people that there was this huge image of gold and he wanted to see this image built and the, and the satraps and the leaders, they came up with this idea, let's build this huge golden statue, this huge statue, larger than like the, the Statue of Liberty in, in, in Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar, this golden statue. And, and when music played, when, when the trumpets blasted, when, when all the instruments went off, everybody was to bow down. All sound effects are free when you come to first, okay? Uh, they bowed down, and there's these three guys who didn't. Because they hate Nebuchadnezzar, they won't do it? No, no, because they love God. Not because of what others are doing, but because of how much they love God. Remember this. If you're ever called a hater, okay, for loving what God says, it's not what you're hating. It's what you're loving that is forcing your decision-making. Trust me. When you say yes to one thing, you say no to another. I remember a young guy saying, when I said yes to my wife, I said no to all the other girls. I'm like, dude, really? All the other girls? I'm pretty sure. But when we say yes, we say no. Furnace faith says yes to God. Well, the trumpets went, and, and the satraps off. These three guys aren't bowing down. So they go and tell Nebuchadnezzar, and he's furious. Bring him to me. So they come in, brings them before him. Now, now, if you're going before Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to understand something about Nebuchadnezzar. He has all power, all authority, and he doesn't care if he's on the media painted in a poor light. He'll kill you flat dead on the scene. He doesn't worry if he'll make the election in the next four years. He will take care of you right there. Nebuchadnezzar has no accountability. He is a powerful man. And these three guys are standing there having not bowed down to his statue. He says, is it true? It's true. He goes, well, I'm going to give you a chance. The music's going to start. The instruments are going to play. And you're going to bow down. Or what? Or I will throw you in a fiery furnace. Now, let me tell you something about Babylon. They were building Babylon so fast and so magnificent and so beautiful that they had these huge furnaces around the city. Oh, yeah. You could walk human beings into these furnaces. Why? Because they were such a driven society that they wanted to melt things, iron, get stone, everything. They would put them in the forge. They, they move things around. They would melt down that stuff so they could build faster and build quicker. And so these massive, hot, steaming, raging furnaces. And Nebuchadnezzar, I'll throw you right in there. I will burn you to death. I don't know about any of you, but that is not one of the ways I'd like to go. Guys, just bow down, all right? You're better off alive. He goes, play the music, and they don't bow down, but listen to what they say. And it's one of the most epic lines in scripture. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, he yells him, who will save you then if I throw you in that fire? They say, okay, Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Oh, guys, come on. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then they drop this bomb. But even if he doesn't, what? Even if he doesn't, may it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Furnace faith says this, I'm gonna take my stand for God, even if he doesn't deliver me through this time period. In other words, I hear to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll go in your fire. We're not getting down. Nebuchadnezzar, crank it up seven times. They crank this thing up. The soldiers grab the three guys. They walk them to it. The story says they throw them in. They fall into the fire. And the soldiers that threw the boys in burn up and die. Kids today, you might, you might, you ever been around a fire and you get really close, it gets so hot, you're like, oh, you know, I've melted really good Nikes on the side of a fire. It burns them alive, but the three guys are fine. In fact, they're standing in the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar, he sees it, and he says, it's not consuming them. They're looking, there's another one in there. I see four of them. Did you, we threw in three, I see four of them in the fire. There was another in the fire that day. And not only did those boys walk out, they walked out and changed the course of Nebuchadnezzar's decision-making for the entire city of Babylon. Voyagers. Voyagers are ready, willing, and able even if they're under fire. Today, we're gonna to enter into the scene in Jerusalem where Paul, if you were here with us last week, is chained up. Something's about to go down. He was told if you enter into Jerusalem, it's gonna be problems. And he's in the middle of the fire as we open our text today in the book of Acts. And we're gonna watch a voyager have a false narrative made up about him, be chained beaten, accused, and he has an opportunity to speak. And when he does, he does something that I think can be an example for all of us on how to handle the flames of adversity when you're set on determined to finish a course. Are you facing adversity right now? Do you feel like there's people against you? Do you feel like everyone's against you? Are you facing something scary in your life? Are you facing something where people are questioning why you're doing what you're doing? Do you feel judged? Do you feel like people are, are scrutinizing your every path? Today you're gonna to see how a voyager handles being under fire. Heavenly Father, use this text. Use this message to inspire us to have voyager faith, to have 
maybe faith, but also to have furnace faith. As we walk into the Jerusalem city and see Paul, your servant, handling adversity, may we walk out of here inspired to live the life of faith he did as well. In your name, we pray all this. Amen. Oh, we'll get out our map. Luke gave us like a nautical map of where they went. Paul was set to go to Jerusalem, right? He was headed to Jerusalem and people around him said, don't, don't go, don't go. And he said, listen guys, I do not count my life as any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from Jesus, he felt fully called to go to Jerusalem. And so they left from Kos to Rhodes to Patara, past Cyprus to Tyre, Ptolemus, Caesarea, and they arrive in Jerusalem. Paul goes into the temple because he was instructed by Peter and the other men, hey, follow the purification rites that we've been given as Jews, and they won't see that you're not out to hate people. You are actually just saying that the Messiah has come and he's Jesus. And salvation comes through Jesus, not the Mosaic law. They'll see that, that you're not turning against a lot of what you believe in as a Jew, and, and, and they'll get you through it. And so he goes into the temple. He takes some guys with him from last week. They're going through the purifying parts. He gets done all he wants to do and they spot him and they say, that's him. That's the man. And they grabbed him and they pulled him and they, all the city was stirred up. Paul is here. That's Saul. Paul is here. And, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. Now, if you're familiar with Herod's temple, there were multiple gates. Most scholars believe he's being sent out of the back gate. Kicked out, get out of here. And as they were seeking to kill him, scripture says. Now, now don't, don't miss this. We're gonna find out in a few verses. Not were they just seeking to kill him. They're literally beating him. They're Boom, they're just hitting him and stuff. Word came to the tribune. Who's that? The tribune is the commander, okay, of that temple guard, okay? He would have been the leader of what was called the Fortress of Antonia, okay? And he was in charge of these centurions, all oh, these awesome Roman centurions. And each one of those centurions, each one centurion was in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. So he grabs the centurions and, and, and they hear that all this is a confusion. And at once he took the soldiers and centurions and ran down to this commotion. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating him right away. Why does the tribune care so much? Understand this. There was almost no higher priority in Roman culture than to keep civil order. You see throughout Acts, we're gonna be accused of having a riot. Civil order was at the top. This tribune, not only his job is on the line, his life is on the line if he loses control of the temple courts and the surrounding areas. So then the tribune came and he arrested him. He, he, he just arrests Paul and be bound with two chains. Oh, remember Agabus? Last week, he ripped off Paul's belt, tied it around his hands and his feet, and said, the one who owns this belt will be chained. Well, here we already see it. He inquired who he was and what he had done. The tribune's like, who are you? What have you done that everybody hates you? I mean, everybody's out to kill you. They're beating you. What have you done? Some of the crowd were shouting one thing. He did this. Some another. He did that. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. You could feel the tension outside the temple courts. 
And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed crying away, away with him, away with him. If you set out to be a voyager, make no mistake, you're gonna be scrutinized, you're gonna have people second guess your decision making, you're gonna have people make up narratives about what you're actually doing. It's a part of reality, why? Because voyagers must be ready to be misunderstood. It's a part of making decisions. I was told by a great mentor of mine, you know the difference between someone who is a leader and someone who is not? I said, yeah, leaders make decisions. They make decisions. And when you make decisions, people have opinions. People second guess those decisions. People scrutinize those decisions. People call for your head if the decisions aren't good. But leadership understands that and they need to be ready to be mis understood. This was something when I first got into ministry, I kind of needed to learn. I kind of had this mentality. I, I would like, I mean, doesn't everybody kind of want everybody to like them? I mean, does anybody like, I'm, I'm going to try to get like 70% of the people not to like me, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be like, but, but I, I was sitting in a master class, Fortune 500, some of these guys, leaders. And the guy starts out, if you're getting into leadership hoping to be liked, you need to go find something else. Because there will be times where people just flat out make up stuff about what you did. You'll hear things like, you said that, and you're like, I never said that. But somebody was thinking that's what you said, and they thought it so much it became truth to them. And they said, you said it. You're like, I didn't say that. Now what do I do? I can't even defend myself. That's going around, I can't even defend myself? Leaders have to understand, part of voyaging is being misunderstood. And so the one thing I try to lean into is making sure that he understands what I'm doing when I know no one else might understand what I'm doing. I remember learning this on a trip to Louisiana after Katrina, the hurricane, hit that coast. We sent a team down to the FEMA parks. All these FEMA parks had trailers everywhere, and the people were living there because they had been forced out of their residences, Right? And we were down there and we were told, you better get out of there by five o'clock. You know, the men start coming home from work. The place totally changes and it's dynamic. Get the kids out of here. We were setting up tents, doing five-day clubs for the kids, trying to do ministry. And I mean, we were facing adversity at almost every turn. I didn't let the teens know, but we were facing adversity at almost every turn. It, it, and I just was, I felt like I was, my motives were constantly under attack by the different leaders and different things and the places that we were going. And, I, and I, I remember feeling like, I, 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 that's not why I was here. And then, see, it seems just like sometimes the devil knows what your little spot is, and he uses people to say things that hit the spot that you're struggling with. And I was feeling really misunderstood, and this guy drops this bomb on me. Hey, man, get out of this FEMA park. We know you're only here so you can put up your little PowerPoints at your church's pictures and feel all self-righteous. We don't need you. Get out. Mm. Man, not only did that fire me up, it also really hurt. It's not why I came down here, Lord. I wanted these kids to see this. I wanted them to see when people are in need, we're gonna be a church that goes. And I'm only getting attacked for being here. Well, that night, we went to McDonald's. I thought, I need a treat. So we took the group to McDonald's. It was right across from our hotel. And we were staying in a kind of a dangerous hotel. 
And I say that because I knew we weren't in the best area because the lights went down early. They didn't have all the electricity back. And we were in one of those hotels. There's more like doors that open into, they don't have a common hallway. So more like a motel. And across the street was McDonald's. So we drove, the, we had a big tour bus and we had to go off across two lanes to get there. And so we drove the kids over there and we parked and we went into McDonald's and we we're eating McDonald's and um, we're talking and I'm kind of venting on feeling low. You know, you gotta make decisions sometimes and people don't understand why you're making decisions. I'm talking to the other leader and this guy comes up to us and he says this, hey, are you guys the leaders of the, the, these teens? And I'm kind of like, I don't know if I wanna say that. And, the, and one of our other leaders goes, yeah, he's the leader. I said, Thanks, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a um, Hey, right by your bus, there's been a stabbing, attempted murder, and there's a body bleeding right by your bus. We don't want your teens to get up and go back to the bus. Police are coming fast right now. When you get your group out of here, could you just hold them and keep them here for a little bit? You, you say somebody's dying by our bus. Yeah, 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 we'll get you out of here. Okay, all right, stall. Hey, guys, anybody want to get an ice cream? They're all looking at me like, Pastor Chris never says, go get an ice cream. <laughs> hey, we're going to hear a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Can I start going back to the hotel? No. Can I go back to the bus? No. 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 <laughs> Why? Why? Guys, guys, just going to hang out here for a little bit. Bus is going to pull up at that door. We're all going to walk straight out of it. All right. Guys, just, we'll be here a little bit. Anyone get an ice cream cone? Sure. Right? And so we're stalling, we're stalling. Finally, police start pulling in. The kids are like looking out. Everybody on the bus, on the bus. Jesus saves. <laughs> and, and they all get on the bus. They're kind of like, what is going on? You know, you know, and all that stuff. We drive over to the hotel and I'm like, and they're like, can we go swimming? Can we go? Hey guys, guys, we're probably just gonna head right back. I get this report. Hey, hey, um, he's on the loose in this area. Okay, hey guys, we're gonna go right back to our hotel rooms tonight. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna have like devotion time. Oh man, we wanna swim. We want... Now guys, we're gonna go, go right back and they're all just battling me. They don't understand I'm trying to save their lives. I get them back to the rooms and as they're in the rooms, um, one of my guys who was uh, always just had a mindset of trying to protect the group, he was a 12th grader, great guy. He's going back and forth. He comes running up to me, he goes, Chris, Chris, the guy is here in the hotel that stabbed the guy. I said, how do you know? I saw him, he's got blood all over him. I look, there's, he's right. Oh my word, the guy who stabbed the guy is hiding in our hotel. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I got suburban Bucks County kids in the middle of this thing, you know? And, and, and I'm like, okay, all right, what, what do you do? And so I, I say to this, this kid, goes, I'm willing, I'll go with you, Chris. I, I don't mind if I die. I look at this kid and I go, Adam, Adam Miller, Adam, who is now the head of security here at our church. We're gonna be fine, just keep checking the doors, you don't have to die, all right, all right, he is raged. So I go to the first door, I open it up, and it's a group of girls sitting there with their pillows, you know, their verses on the pillows. <laughs> you guys are fine, we're gonna be okay. I open the next door, I got a family with a bunch of kids around, they're praying, Jesus, save us, save us. And all of a sudden I'm like, all right, they should be okay. I, I close that door, I get, to, I get to my door. Okay, I gotta figure out a way to calm my guys down. I got two guys staying with me. I open the door, and there's music blaring. Something like, I wish that I had Jesse's girl or something. I mean, it's like 80s music. I'm like, what's going on? And they're on the beds. And the one guy's got a camera and he's filming. And their names were Kenton and Adam, who are now the tech ministry of our church. And it was so refreshing to be in a room of guys who are completely clueless of what's going on. 
But I remember leading through that time and it reminded me, there are times in leadership where you just gotta do the right thing whether people understand you or not. And the next day I was able to explain to them what was going on. Actually, they figured out pretty quick. And I'm so glad that wasn't the cell phone generation because all their parents would have known. Oh, it's kind of nice. Paul's misunderstood. And now he's been brought into the barracks. And he says to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he must have said it in Greek because the tribune goes, do you know Greek? Are you not that Egyptian? Turns right to accusation. Are you not that Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Now, I don't know if you, you like some history outside of scripture. See, you can prove Jesus outside. You'll need the Bible. You can go to documents like Josephus and other contemporary writers of that time period and find out more about the historical backgrounds of those actual time periods. And, and Josephus records these dagger men Okay, this assassins in its original language means men of kind of the sickle. These assassins, they were uh, Jews. They would, they would put swords, okay, iron, in hot flames, really burn it. Young kids, you ever see fire get so hot it turns like yellow? Well, that's what they do, and they put them in these furnaces in these kilns, and they get them super hot so that they're more bendable. And they would bend the top, okay, using hammers and different tools. They'd bend the top and make it like a, a sickle, and they'd stick it in their cloaks. They would go into the public arenas, and literally, they would pull the sickles out and stab Roman soldiers, Romans, and, and they did this in the cities for the, for the nation of the, of the Jews. And they were known as these dagger men. And the tribune goes, you're him. Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city, and I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're from Tarsus? You're a Jew from Tarsus? I mean, that'd be like, I'm a, I'm a Jew from Stanford or Harvard. Tarsus was one of the highest educated cities, and people claimed their education based on the city they came from. That's why you read in scripture things like this. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth wasn't known. Paul's from Tarsus. That's where Gamaliel's from, the great teacher. That's Tarsus? He's from there? Yes, can I speak to the people? That convinced the tribune. He said, okay, you have permission. So Paul goes out and stands on the steps. Most scholars believe it was the steps right by the fortress of Antonia. This is in the temple court. That's the temple. In the temple court, right here is the fortress of Antonia. Okay, so they believe he was on the back gate of this, facing, facing Jerusalem. He motions with his hand, and there's a great hush. And he addresses them in the Hebrew language. What? Now he's going to talk in Hebrew. And I got to read this to you. What is he going to say? What was this voyager willing to do? He's ready to be misunderstood. What is he willing to do? And, 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 we, and we read... It's in chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Listen to what he says. It's fourfold. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. He said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Sicilia, Cilicia, excuse me, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of the fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day, I persecuted this way to the death 
binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders, he probably pointed at him, can bear witness. From them I have received letters to the brothers. And I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. You think I'm against the law? I persecuted because of the law. As I was on my way, to, I drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly showed around me and I fell on the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me, they saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told that what is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of this light, I was led by hand. And those who were with me, and we came to Damascus. Sharing his life. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. And so probably in the crowd's like, oh yeah, Ananias, great. He came to me and he stand by me and he said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I saw, I saw. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone, what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise up, be baptized, wash away your sins, call on his name. Folks, I'm a changed person, he's saying. I'm preaching Jesus, not the law anymore. And when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance, and I saw someone say to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I even myself was standing there approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. This is the first time we see in scripture Paul admitting he was there when Stephen was stoned and he approved of it. And he said to me, go for I'll send you away to the Gentiles. What, what do I learn about voyagers? In moments when there's heat, in moments when life is difficult, in moments when someone has to say something, they're transparent. Leaders, voyagers, are willing to be transparent. How do I know this? He shared his testimony. When he didn't know what to do, when everyone was against him, he just got transparent and said, look, you're reading me wrong. You're not getting me right. He didn't try to fight back. He didn't try to say, you're all idiots. He said, look, here's my heart. Here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I was walking down the street in a third world country called Trinidad Tobago. We were inviting people to come to a basketball that game that night at the street. I had gone with my college. Our basketball team traveled with our school's volleyball team on this trip to Trinidad and Tobago. And part of the trip was we would go around as a basketball team and we'd play the national teams of the country in their different towns. It's actually really cool. But one of the things is we went during the day and we'd invite people in the villages and the surrounding areas to come to the game that night. Well, I was with a group of three. We were walking down the street and I saw this group of teen guys. Now, I don't look like anything like them, we don't act like them and we don't talk like them. And I'm going, man, I want to avoid this group. They seem very confident, athletes, all this stuff. And I'm thinking, how can we go this way? And they yell out as I'm praying, Lord, just kind of show us whether we're supposed to talk to them. They yell, hey, what are you guys doing? 
Ah, oh, that's you, Lord. Okay. Um, hey, hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Um, we're, we're, I'm, I'm part of a basketball team. We're going to be playing your national team tonight down at the park. Oh, yeah, we know that part. And um, we're inviting people to come out. We're, we're just here um, to share the love of Jesus. Where are you from? I said, well, I'm from the United States. Um, where at? I said, Pennsylvania. Oh, you play basketball? I'm like, yeah. He's kind of sizing me up. He's taller than me. He's sizing me up. He goes, you play with Shaquille O'Neal? You know how bad I wanted to go? Absolutely, all the time. He's in our league. No, no, you don't understand. I'm at a college. I'm, I'm at a low-level college. I'm not even at the highest levels. Shigo plays in California. You know, that's not, no. Oh, all right, all right. You guys are playing ball tonight. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're from Pennsylvania. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'd uh, love to have you guys out. Thanks, guys. All right, cool. And I'm walking off. And he goes, hey, we'll see you, Pennsylvania. Oh, you did not just call me Pennsylvania. Come on, swallow it. You're a missionary. You're a missionary. Keep walking. Hey, Pennsylvania, we might come. All right, guys, hope you come. Game gets there that night. I'm playing. And the Lord made the hoop and ocean that night. Uh, if any athlete out here, I don't know why, but I couldn't miss a shot. And so our coach says, hey, Chris, you're on fire first half. You do the halftime testimony. I mean, I, mean, I thought he was gonna do the halftime. Yeah, you got it, you got it. Everybody's like, oh, you're shooting so great, you got it. Coach, it's like 200 people gathered around here. Yeah, you got it. I didn't prepare anything. So I walked to center court with this raggedy old mic. Not too close. Okay, okay. And I hear, let's go, Pennsylvania. <sighs> Thanks for coming, everybody. My name's Chris. I'm from Pennsylvania. <laughs> And I just shared my testimony. I'm going to be honest with all of you. I'm a little scared. I've never talked to a group this large before in my life. I never spoke before people outside of my little class and public speaking when my heart raced. I go, but I want to tell you why I came to Trinidad and Tobago. And it wasn't to play ball. It was to share somebody who changed my life. And the place went silent on me. I'm like, did I say something wrong? And I started to share more and share more. I'm looking over at my friends and they're like, I'm sharing more. I went for like 20 minutes and I got done. And I walked back to the court. I handed my coach my mic and he's standing there looking at me like this. He goes, all right, if you don't go into ministry and speaking, you've missed your calling in life, kid. He goes, now, share the ball in the second half. Oh, okay, 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 okay. All right, and, and, I, and I walked out of there and I couldn't even play in the second half. I'm like, what just happened? But I learned something about ministry. When you're going through the fires, admit it. Leaders, one of the best things you can do will take all the air out of the room. Hey, hey, we're all feeling a little stressed right now, right? Oh yeah, we're allowed to talk about it. The air comes out of the room. Hey, kids, kids, you know dad's been a little upset recently. I was a little, I, I probably got a little upset last night. Shh, dad's letting the air out of the room. Mom, you know, I, I, I know I shouldn't have thrown the plate at you, sweetheart. I don't know, I don't know. But, but willing to be transparent. And up to that point, they listened to him. They listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, he was there at Stephen." Away with such a man from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him, bring him back into the barracks. 
And he saved him. And he said he should be examined by flogging to find out why they're shouting at him like this. Flog him. Oh, don't flog him. It's called the scourge. They would take these whips, these leather whips that they tied stones and, and bones into them. And they'd hit the back and slam their back. Paul said, I received 39 slashes at one point. He said, hit him. But when they stretched out the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, he stretched out. Is it lawful for a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Is it lawful for you to flog him? The answer is a resounding no, by the way. And this gets his attention. The centurion heard this. He ran to the tribune and he said, what are we about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. And the tribune came running in and he said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. And the tribune answered, I bought my citizenship with a large sum. Any study of history will note that Claudius in Rome was actually selling Roman citizenships. And the tribune said, I bought mine. Paul said, I'm a citizen from birth. Anybody in school? You ever see the greater than, less than? If you're a citizen from birth, you are greater than someone who has bought their Roman citizenship. And now all of a sudden they're about to whip this guy. Paul, you pull out this card this late. You wait till you're stretched out. Hey, is it okay for you guys to do this? What? So those who were about to examine him withdrew immediately. And the tribune was also afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and he bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know what real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. So Paul's brought before the court. He's standing there. Here's the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, all of them. And he brought Paul down. He sat before them and looking intently at the council, Paul says this. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in a good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. I have lived with a good conscience. Hit him. <laughs> Anybody know what Paul does? He gets right back. He goes, you hit me, you whitewashed wall, and he gets rowdy. But you gotta come back next week to see what happens. Because <laughs> we're voyagers. We're voyagers. Will Paul be able to stand up to this fire? It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Will he be able to have furnace faith? Paul, are you going to make it? Will he have furnace faith? We see voyagers under fire. Under fire, they're ready. If it means to be misunderstood, they're ready because they fix their eyes on pleasing Jesus, not on people. Voyagers, when they're under fire, they're willing to be transparent. If it means me sacrificing, if it means me being a little bit vulnerable and saying, here's where I'm at, I'll defend myself, but, but here's my heart, they do it. But voyagers, when they're under fire, make no mistake, they have to be able to have furnace faith. Do you have it? The faith that says, even if God doesn't deliver me, I'm gonna take a stand for what God has given me. How do I know, Chris? Well, remember, all decisions are based on whether you're gonna operate in fear or you're gonna operate in faith. In the furnace, fear cannot go on. I just can't go on. I can't go on like this. I can't win this. I can't beat this addiction. I can't beat this struggle. I can't go on. Fear cannot give in. We are not gonna bow. 
I'm not giving in. Fear, when it's in a fire, it focuses only on the fire. Oh my goodness, look how hot it is. I mean, look at that. I mean, these people are, they're, they're really loud. They're really, I mean, oh, they put in their post all capital letters. Fear focuses on the fire. Faith focuses on the victory that Jesus already won. Amen? Fear says, okay, I'll jump, I'll jump, I'll trust you, God, but only if, only if this happens, and only if this happens, and once this happens, then we'll do it, only if. Faith goes, God, no plan B. I'm jumping even if you choose not to catch me. I'll see you in glory, because I know I'll live forever regardless. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Fear always feels alone in the flame. I'm so alone. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Fear is so isolating. Faith knows it's never alone. In those moments where the devil says, you're all alone, child of God, would you hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit going, I'm right here. Don't listen to him. I'm right here in this fire with you. I'm all alone. You're never alone. I'm with you wherever you go. I'm I'm going to be alone someday. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I'm not a good person. There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. Faith hears a different voice in the fire. Fear ends up consuming people and destroying lives and families and strength and future hopes. It's consuming fire, it feels at times. Faith ends up refining us and making us moldable and shapeable in that hot furnace for what God wants us to do. Have you ever found yourself in a refiner's fire? Maybe you're in it today. A very close friend of mine got a call that his mother-in-law's van broke down. And then the family kind of rushed over to help. You know, that's what families do. And they began to work on the vehicle. And they tried a couple different things. But it just wasn't going. And now guys are covered in gas and different things. Try and do that thing. And all of a sudden, the vehicle backfires. And fire is thrown from the engine onto my friend. And since his shirt was covered in gas, he began to quickly catch flame. He said, Chris, I ran and just threw myself on the ground and started rolling. And fortunately... I was being padded out. Boom, 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 padded out. Rolling, came to a stop. But unfortunately, he got third degree burns and was rushed to Lehigh where they had to do skin grafts and surgery and all the above. It was a long recovery back. I said, do you know why? I just stopped him. Do you know why you were caught by fire? Now, any believer who's been a believer for a while knows why I asked that. We know God works things out. God uses things. Why? And he goes, you know, I've thought about that. Up until that point, Chris, I had a lot of trouble. I, I get managed a position. It was killing me with anxiety. I was having a lot of pressure in my life, and I was just overcome by a lot of fears, and it was holding me back in my career and in my life as a dad. But you know what? After that fire, it kind of got my attention, and it showed me how God can just deliver out of all those situations, and it really strengthened my faith, and I needed that. Because the next year, I lost both of my parents. His mother died of cancer. His father died suddenly from a brain aneurysm, I believe it was. And he said, because of that situation where God had kind of refined my faith, it helped me through that year where I went from losing both of my parents 
And I was able to, to see my faith that was built in that moment. He goes, but you know what was cool? Some time later, we were gathered together as a family. My brother-in-laws who were at the fire that happened and my mother-in-law who was there, she was in the car, the hood was up so she could only see through. And we were talking to him. He goes, yeah, who patted me out? Because whoever patted me out, guys, should have had fire, flames. You know, who else got burned? I was like, I didn't pat you out. I didn't pat you out. Well, who patted me out? I, I didn't pat you out. And that's where his... His mother-in-law said, well, I saw two people in white in flames looking through the car. <laughs> and my buddy Mike, who works at this church now, said, well, I know one of them was me, who was the one who was burned, if you know Mike, nice. He said, one of them was me, and I was wearing a white shirt, white shorts, because I just got back from Medlow. Who was the other in white? There was another in that fire, according to that family. I said, Mike, you really felt somebody? He goes, I'm telling you, and Mike makes nothing up and he doesn't exaggerate anything. I'm telling you, somebody patted me out, Chris. You know, children of God know that when we go through something, we can't always see it. Oh, scripture says, be careful. You never know if you're entertaining an angel unaware. But scripture says he's with us in that fire and he's gonna use that fire. And that's why 1 Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Who's got adversity today? Maybe it's just for this season. And it says various trials. It could be all sorts of different trials from a little kid going, I don't know how I'm going to pass second grade. That's a real trial to you. Or a college student going, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep my grades at that university this fall. To that mom and dad going, I don't know if we'll be able to pay this mortgage. I mean, we can this year, but what if we, what if we, what if we, what if we? And every Instagram post I pull up, it says, prepare, prepare, prepare. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why does God allow his kids to get tested? Well, the enemy wants to destroy you and consume you. God wants to refine you. Why? Because every Roman soldier knows you never take one of those swords into battle unless it has been thoroughly tested so that it can be told that that weapon is trustworthy. I'd like to think sometimes when God forges me and molds me and sends me through adversity that he's preparing me for something. Last year, beginning of March, the whole world shut down in one week. And all I heard was, hey, Chris, what are you going to say? Chris, what are you going to say? Hey, Chris, what are we going to do? What's the church thinking? Hey, Chris, what are you going to say? Thinking, that is true. I really can't have to say something. And for me, I didn't step into the middle of the court, but I did step in front of a camera that I knew was going to get thousands of views. And we kind of shared our testimony. Hey, here's where we're at, church. Here's where we're at. We're going to get through this together. I don't know how, but we're going to make it through. We're going to take it one step at a time. And I went from preaching that one Sunday morning with 1,500 people in the room to the next Sunday morning with me and those two boys that were in that hotel room that night, Kenton and Adam. And we preached the word. And you'd like to think some of those fires along the way prepare you for other fires, and I'm sure even more to come. 
But know this child of God, whenever you're in the fire, he has a purpose. And when the smoke clears, when the smoke clears and the forest is done burning, you'll see that there are purposes to it. There's purposes to the refiner's fire. In fact, I want to give you these as we leave. Because some of you might be here and you might be in the middle of the flames, but when it dies down, you'll see that God is doing something re in your life. Seven reasons to rejoice. The first one, it'll reset your dependence. Any guys out there know I have a story? Hey, you have a testimony? You got a little cocky, you were doing life on your own, and all of a sudden you're in a car accident? It resets who you really depend upon. I know some of the guys in this congregation, if you fall off the ladder at work, you are the family's income. It resets your dependence on God if we get a little, we get a little too much into ourselves. Here's the second thing it does when we're in a fire. It reveals our pride. Kind of reveals where we've gotten a little into ourselves. And it humbles us. I've learned to thank God for some of the adversity that's revealed some pride that needed to be pruned down a little bit in my life. You know what else a refiner's fire can do? It can reorganize all your priorities. How many of you have had that happen this year going through adversity? It's reorganized. All of a sudden, stuff doesn't matter, does it, when you're in a fire? It used to be so important, and now I don't really even care. We've got to get this done. You know what else it does? It renews our prayer life. You can't have strong faith with praying only when you eat your food. I'm glad you pray when you eat your food, but that kind of prayer life isn't gonna produce furnace faith. We need to be with our heavenly father or trust me, I'm one of them, I'll cower. I feel the voice of fear and cowardness all the time too. The voice of faith comes when we pray. Adversity will retune our heart Ask that strong mom who will take on the world and then she has a baby and it has a condition or a disease. Totally changes her empathy. And then all of a sudden, mom, three years later, is starting a 5K for kids who struggle with cerebral palsy or something like that. All of a sudden, all her energy into life is fully retuned and we're gonna deal with this issue. Why? Why? Because of a fire. It's always after a fire. It'll renovate our usefulness. You're not gonna believe me, high school students, but you might be going through something in high school that's really struggling with and you're really upset about right now and someday, seven years from now, you might be like this to your, your son or your daughter. Hey, bud, listen to me. When I was in high school, I went through the same thing. And I guess that's why I went through it. So I could be right here for you right now going, I understand. Fires do that. They prepare us for future usefulness. And then finally, they refine our faith. They make us a tool worth using in God's army. But may you never forget in the midst of your fire right now that you might be feeling. Furnace faith knows I can go in, into this fire because I'm not going alone.
And when I'm in it, I can rejoice. Why? Because it's fun? No, it's horrible. It's terrible going through this kind of adversity. I've been on the phone for months with people before they've taken their own life. It's horrible going through adversity. But at least we know when we're in it, as a child of God, devil lie to you. Head into the flame. He's with you. And even if he doesn't deliver here on earth, he will pull you to his home. Heavenly Father, may we have furnace faith. We're not talking this morning to the person who kind of wants one foot in and one foot out. We're talking to the child of God who goes, I'm ready to set a course. I'm a voyager. I'm ready and I'm willing, but I don't know if I'm able. But I'm reminded that through Christ, I can do all things. So I got to walk through any fire that I've been given that's been handed to me or that's come out of nowhere, knowing I'm not alone. It changes your prayer life. It changes your perspective and it changes your strength. That this current fire is being used for my good even if it hurts so much. Lord, would you in your great mercy deliver your children through the fires? But more importantly, would you give them a hug if they're in it today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.